0: Hey, it's Casey Potts, and you've landed in Casey's Corner, a podcast to help us millennial moms overcome the overwhelm of everyday life with confidence, humor, and style. I want you to look at this show as your go to resource, your virtual bestie, or your secret weapon to sanity. I might not have all the answers, but I'm searching for them just like you. Why don't we find them together? So get comfy and get curious. This is Casey's Corner. thank you so much for hanging out with me. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. It's been really fun. I love the fact that connecting with not only other moms, but other podcasting moms, it's such like a sisterhood and I've done Low show and now she's here on Casey's Corner. It's a really cool community to be part of. It really is. Yeah, I've gotten to connect with um, quite a few moms this way and it's been really fun. It is, it is. So, Lo, go ahead and tell us, uh, take a minute, tell us kind of what it is that you do and how you got started.
1: Yeah, so my name is Lo, I'm a mom of two. My kids are eight and a half and almost five, like in a few weeks, she'll be five. And I was an educator before I became a mom and for a few years after I became a mom, but I had an intense struggle with breastfeeding. And even birth, really. And it really threw me down this rabbit hole of learning everything I could about birth and breastfeeding. I became a doula first then a lactation counselor and a childbirth educator. And I've completed all the requirements to be an IBCLC, and I'll be taking my board exams in September. And um, as a part of that, I have launched a podcast because I have seen how much anxiety there is around feeding our babies. And I wanted to relieve some of that, and so my podcast is called the Milk Making, the Milk Making Minutes. And uh, the purpose of the podcast is to reduce breastfeeding anxiety through explorations of real life breastfeeding. So the heart and soul of the podcast is sharing stories, whether they were euphoric, amazing breastfeeding stories, or whether they were the stories of struggle and disconnection and feeling misunderstood and frustrated both are important to hear not because it's not the type of story where you're going to hear it and think "Ah, that's a horror story oh no there's types of stories that help you feel like okay so that's what made the difference for this person that actually made it worse for this person um and so that's the heart and soul of the podcast. But then also, I, I also produce many episodes every week, just five to 10
0: minutes about common breastfeeding problems
1: that so can be used as a resource for people as well.
0: I love it. And actually, I'll give a, a sneak peek to the listeners because like I said, I did Lowe's show and I am actually the latter. I had a horrible experience with my breastfeeding, uh, mm-hmm. with the breastfeeding experience I had with Kennedy. And it was so disconnecting and so traumatizing that I love what you say, though, in the beginning of each of your shows, where you say that you, you know that people need to hear from one another and that they need to hear the stories and experiences of others to feel that moment of like, OK, I can get through this. And even though I had a horrible experience, I think that I still can help other women navigate around that experience and kind of really show how individualized each experience is. So there's so much around, you know, the way that, uh, women are treated in as far as when it comes to when they're in the hospital and kind of feel like it's a revolving door and just spit up and chew, chewed up and spit out at the, uh, at the hospital. But tell me what it's like, or maybe explain to me, how is it that this whole, the way you feed your baby is not a one size fits all?
1: Yeah. So this is uh, uh, I, this can be answered just by saying every woman, every person who's feeding a baby is an individual, and every baby is an individual. And the way that we used to treat birth and breastfeeding was it was that communities of women would gather around and help each other. So if anyone's ever seen Call the Midwife, for instance, and you see the intense support that was given to each family, birthing and breastfeeding, I mean, those were professionals coming in, but we've always had professional midwives. I mean, you can read, if, if anybody is a religious person and they read, read the Bible, there are mentions of professional midwives who trained as midwives to learn how to help people birth safely. And then within this last century, that became more medicalized. And in some ways, that has helped us, right? I don't want to sound like someone who um, is anti-medicine or anti-medical professionals. There is a place for that. But birth and breastfeeding are Physiological acts that humans have been doing since the beginning of time. And when you start messing with that, all mammals, cats feed their babies, dogs feed their babies from their bodies. They need very little help to do that. Every now and then you might meet one that needs an intervention. But we have gone, we have turned birth and breastfeeding into this space where so many interventions happen based on very small percentages of risk. And there's a lot of fear-mongering that happens where, of course, none of us want anything to happen to our babies and we don't want anything to happen to ourselves. So if a medical professional in a white coat is asking, and I've had many guests on my podcast tell me that somebody asked them, do you want your baby to die? Oh my goodness. As a way to bully them into making the choice that the medical professional wants them to make. And of course, the answer to that question is, no, who do you think I am? Of course, I don't want my baby to die. I'm just trying to become fully informed. And so many, so many parts of birth and breastfeeding have, take, have been taken out of the hands of the people who know how to do it. And we almost lost it. We almost lost physiological birth and breastfeeding for multiple generations. And so now we're trying to rebuild that. And it's taking a long time. With rates, you know, we're mammals, yet only 35% of, of, of women breastfeed at the three-month mark. But ninety over 90% say they want to breastfeed.
0: Right. I think that that's the thing, too, is that, and especially in my experience where I assumed that was going to be it. It's the natural thing to do. It's the way our bodies were meant to be. And I think that um, I I can recall and Lo and I have talked about this on her show about a a moment where I went to a breastfeeding class and my, of course, I dragged my husband along with me and he'll never let me live it down. But I think it was that moment of Okay, so yes, this is what's likely supposed to happen. But if it doesn't, here is a slew of products and creams and different apparatuses to help make it happen. And that, I believe, was really intimidating. Tell me a little bit about kind of your experience as far as what you're seeing in this baby industry that really is kind of playing to those fears and anxieties around moms.
1: Yeah. And I, when you brought that up on my podcast, it gave me as a lactation supporter a lot of food for thought about what prenatal education should look like, because it's a fine line between teaching people, it's all going to be great. Your body was meant to do this when so many people struggle because that's dismissive and giving them the tools they need up front to help them. One of the resources that really helped me understand this, um, actually quite recently was, um, it's a book called The Big Letdown. It was written by a breastfeeding advocate named Kimberly Seals-Aller. She's so much more than that. She's a journalist. Um, she, uh, she has her own podcast. I can't remember the name of it, but Um, She has an app out to help people get birth support. And she. the subtitle of this book is (laughs) How Big Business, Medicine, and Feminism Undermine Breastfeeding.
0: Ooh, that's interesting. (laughs) That's very interesting.
1: Yeah. And I think what has happened is um, she outlines very clearly the through line there and so when you talk about you know all these products that are hot to make people buy more and more and more you always when you look at any research study or any facebook account or any instagram account that's telling you you need a, a product you need to follow the money where is that coming from who is telling you you need this thing And one thing I always tell my clients is don't buy anything before you have the baby. You just don't know what you're going to need. So you might need something to help. You know, I recommend if you have insurance, go ahead and get your insurance covered breast pump because if you do have a complication, you'll have it there and you're not stressing out after you have the baby. But other than that, I mean, don't buy a bunch of stuff for baby feeding because you're just not going to know what you're going to need. And if you're working with somebody who's telling you you need to buy a bunch of stuff, you know,
0: they might have some sort of affiliate link they're making.
1: Exactly. <laughs> they're yeah, you just yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you might question that because no, I
0: agree.
1: A lot of that stuff is being it's 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 about big business. And I hate to sound conspiratorial because my nature is not to be conspiratorial, but I've been, I've been in this business for about nine years now. And you can see how again and again, people are undermined and made to feel like their bodies aren't good enough. And the thing that I like every guest of my podcast and every listener of my podcast and all of my clients to walk away feeling is that breastfeeding or not if you were not able to breastfeed and you wanted to it was not a personal failure
0: mm.
1: it was a systemic failure
0: yeah that's so um, true and and isn't that such a testament to not only i mean you said it too we're we're constantly fed messaging That our bodies are not good enough. And this goes into a whole different topic that we very often talk about here on this podcast is that body image, the body messaging that was fed to us, especially in the early 2000s, where, you know, magazine covers were basically giving us a different tip or trick or five ways to slim down in the next five days, you know, all these different things that were constantly being fed to us. So the message then is okay, fix, 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 not accept, nourish, nurture what you actually mm-hmm. have.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the thing that you and I had discussed offline before we hit record was that the reason this is important, even if you're not breastfeeding, is if you look back at your motherhood journey, so many of us are filled with doubt about, as mothers. I to this day, my my son is eight and a half years old, and I'm still filled with doubt about decisions I make. And I don't think it's going to get easier as he enters the preteen and teen years. (laughs) I think my mindset shifts, and I learn to accept, you know, what is, and I do grow in confidence. But then something changes, and then you're like, "Oh, am I making the right decisions?" And when you are a new parent, your gut instinct is constantly being undermined Mm, mm -hmm. and so pediatricians receive three total hours of breastfeeding education in med school that's it wait that's it like ever three total hours of breastfeeding education in med school wow IBCLCs have to have 90 hours of breastfeeding education but b- before they fit for the exam and then continued education to recertify okay that's a big difference so and we we walk this fine line of like we don't want to um interfere with your relationship with your pediatrician but often pediatricians are getting flat out wrong advice mm. that 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 is bad for milk supply, is bad for baby weight gain. And then the mother herself is made to feel at fault when things right. go awry. Right. And, you know, nurses on the ob floor, they get two or three total classes in nursing school about breastfeeding. And there are some studies that, that are done where the quality of nursing breastfeeding advice and support that you receive in hospitals is determined by the nurses, the own attitudes towards breastfeeding and their own breastfeeding experience. Mm. So if a nurse struggled to breastfeed herself, she's going to walk into and had to switch to formula and have low milk supply, she's going to, that's going to, that is going to shape the way that she supports every
0: person that comes on to that
1: delivery. Board. So let
0: me ask you then, do you think that that's the cycle? And is that something that physiologically, psychologically, maybe that we are just, whatever experience we have on ourselves, right? For ourselves, Creates that neuro pathway of the way we view an experience moving forward, whether that be, you know, the way that you want to fold your laundry or the way that you decide to breastfeed. It's because it's the way that you've done it, it's the way that you had that experience. Um, So, then what would you say is kind of going to be the disruptor to those kind of cycles and get a little bit more consistency? In hospitals for new moms.
1: Yeah, so the American Academy, the American Academy of Pediatrics, just um, put out a new policy, a new uh, a new policy statement last month. Wow, okay. and it kind of had me rolling my eyes a little bit because they were saying that um, basically the policy statement. So the World Health Organization for years has said that. Um, breastfeeding should be done for the first two years of life. Um, or and or for as long as both mom and baby are happy. And the AAP has always said one year. And um, and then you, you know, I've had I've had many clients over the years who have said once they've gotten to one year, their pediatricians are like, Why are you so breastfeeding? That milk still has no be- that milk has no benefits for your babies. It's not like some clock shuts off and the milk doesn't benefit the baby at one anymore. And, and those pediatricians just weren't educated about the benefits of breastfeeding beyond in the milk changes over time Mm -hmm. to benefit the baby you have and the age of the baby you have. So it is beneficial for as long as both mom and baby are happy. Um, and
0: so a, an interesting term though, to be used in a policy like that. That happy is a term i'm using it's not okay. the okay i mean uh, yeah. but honestly it wouldn't surprise me if it did just right say, happy. yeah if a mom is right. happy it's like right that, for, there's as much both, more to that. for as long as
1: both mom and that ba- baby would like to continue resting sure is kind of how it's is, is the wording there so the policy statement not only increased from one to two but then it called out hospitals for lack of support um which is great, except I have heard enough horrible breastfeeding advice from members of the AAP themselves over the years that I feel like it's a little bit like the kettle, the pot calling the kettle black. Okay. Um, so, so I say all that to say, yes, we need to start ramping up the amount of education that um, anyone who is supporting breastfeeding education. Anyone who supports a postpartum family um they just they just have to understand physiologically what's happening with breast milk, how milk supply works. You know, I was just talking to someone yesterday who said, "Yeah, they had a nurse tell them, don't comfort don't comfort breastfeed your baby." Actually, no, you're supposed to comfort breastfeed your baby. That's how the milk supply comes in. Babies are physiologically designed to want to comfort nurse because that's how they get your milk flow. Mm. But statements like this are thrown out all the time. And this is what, this is what goes back to what we were talking about with that, that doubt. When you, when you have the instinct, Oh, my baby's crying. I'm going to bring my baby to the breast. Many of us have that instinct. Not everybody. I'm not saying that everybody experiences those first moments in the same way because I talked to plenty of people who are like, oh my gosh, this baby felt like an alien. And I had to fake it until I made it. That's okay too. If that was your experience, that is totally okay too. Both are fine. But many of us have this instinct to bring a crying baby to our breast. And then when someone is like, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. And you're like, wait, are my instincts wrong? And then somebody else says, oh, you should be feeding your baby for only 15 minutes on each side, um, only every two to three hours, no more, no less. And you're like, wait, I I thought I was following my baby's cues. I must be doing it wrong. And it starts to erode your instinct. And then before you know it, You don't feel like you can make decisions about your baby. You feel like you have to ask a medical professional, well, what about my baby's sleep? What about my baby's, you know, what about when I need to transition to solids? These things we used to just do on our own based on what we saw
0: community members do. That was one thing I used to always tell them. People would say, you know, again, I was one of the first of our group of friends to have a child. and. It was it was always funny to me when, of course, you get unsolicited parenting advice nonstop, right? But it's never their advice. It's always they say blah 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 blah, and my response always would be, "Who's they? Who is who is <laughs> this they? Who's the collective they?" Right? And but you brought up such an interesting point, and I just had this visual in my head, and I have to share it because you made the point of if your baby is comforting, your first instinct in your intuition is to pull that baby to your breast, right? Okay. Think about a few years down the road. Your baby is sad. Your baby needs comfort. You pull that baby to your chest and pull them close to you. It's the same motion. It's the same movement. And then even take it a step further, right? Your kid is six and gets hurt at soccer practice. You bring them into you. It's kind of where you've been, maybe is it like physically dispositioned to bring in someone who needs comfort yeah we would never
1: we would never I always say I always think to myself how would I treat an adult in this situation if an adult were crying and upset and unhappy I would never say just get over yourself you're fine I would never say that we say it to children all the time and to babies we're like you know you know not everybody but some medical
0: professionals are telling us to just leave our babies to cry well and that's the hard part too right is figuring out when do we ignore the intuition and that in that motherly instinct because exactly to your point how many times you hear oh just let them cry it out whether it be sleep training or oh you know get up you're fine you're fine and Sure, listen, I am the the mother of a drama queen. I know when she's faking it. I know when she just needs to be left alone and figure it out for herself. But as moms, I feel like that we are getting fed these messages of let them fend for their let them fend for themselves a little bit more than we actually need to. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, I think there's a difference between like stepping into
1: the drama with them Mm. and being the calm in the storm for them. Oh, that's I, interesting. There's a difference there. Okay. So like, you know, I always tell people even when it comes to to weaning, like some people are like, I am ready to wean. I cannot stand to have this child on my breast for another moment. What can I do? Especially if they're a toddler. My toddler is is at my breast all the time. I'm so touched out. And I always remind them, it's okay you to decide you're ready to have your body back. It's also okay for your toddler to feel however they're going to feel about that. Sure. Both can exist. Mm -hmm. And so I always remind them it's not your job to fix their emotions. It's just your job to say, yeah, I know you really want to nurse and I'm not, I'm not going to let you nurse right now. And I know you're sad about it. Yeah. Yeah, and if we education. can maintain our calm and 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 I'm saying this as it's an easy thing because I sure have lost it many times in my life <laughs> with my children, so I'm not saying this as if it's easy. And it's a reminder to myself every time I remind a client. But sometimes, especially when we have little babies, we feel like it's our job to stop all the crying. And you know, some people have fussier or more sensitive babies than others. And I don't think it's necessarily whether they're babies or whether they're five or whether they're 10 or whether they're 15. When they're 15, we know we're not going to be able to stop all the hurt. Right. We can picture that, right? A 15-year-old has a breakup. You can't stop that hurt from happening. But we also don't need to say to them, I told you so. So that doesn't help. I would never want somebody to say that to me. And it's the same when a kid is running down the road and they fall and scrape their knee. I could easily say I told you not to run. Right. <laughs> I could also say, "Oof. That really looks like it hurts. Is there anything you need from me?" Mm. And it's the same with my crying baby at weaning time. "I know you really want to breastfeed and I I can't right now I'm busy." Yeah. And it's, it's acknowledging their pain and their emotions without stepping into them and not feeling like I need to fix them either.
0: Very true. Yeah. I think there's a lot of parents that feel the need to be the fixers all the time as well, which, yeah. and that's it's the totally line that do. we have to kind of teeter. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it starts with babyhood,
1: which is why this is related to breastfeeding, because I think many who fall in my category of like, I breastfed my kids until they were like, you know, they were talking, they were yeah. going to preschool. They were, you know, I breast and I baby wore and I I co-slept. I did all those things. Um, and many people who fall in that category, I I think they almost feel like it's it's we feel like it's our job to stop all crying. And I don't think that that necessarily is the case. And I did better with that my second go-around with my second child than I did with my first. Okay. I think. And and I think that that's when we feel like we have to jump in and stop our babies um, with all their emotions all the time,
0: that's draining to us. Where do you think that pressure came from that, that need and that pressure to, to take it all away? Do you think that that was something that felt like a societal pressure? Do you think that it was just your uh, intuitive pressure? What, where'd that come from?
1: Well, I think it's a couple of things and of course I'm just speaking as like a mom
0: here not yeah. as somebody who has researched this or an expert. Yeah, no, anyway, is, tell me the the low mom, the mama low yeah, side of stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, I think it comes from a couple of things. I think some of it is a a, a counter response to the the reaction of like Don't overfeed your baby. Don't don't pick your baby up when your baby cries. Only feed your baby on a schedule. Don't sleep with your baby in the same space. All the things that they said, right? Right, right. All the things they said to do, which you hear often not only from people from older generations, also from medical professionals. Mm -hmm. Hear it from both, right? Like... And so it's kind of a counter reaction to that. I also think, so I'm going to bring up another book that has influenced me deeply in the, next, in the last couple of years, which is a book called Hunt, Parents, Gather. Okay. And it was written by an NPR journalist. I cannot remember her name, so I'm not going to try to uh, recall it, but she wrote a, she had a, a three-year-old, I think, and she was losing her mind with parenting. And, um, she, it was just a lot more battles of the wills than she expected it to be a lot more just like she being angry, you know, bedtime struggles, like you, you name it just a lot. A lot her home was a lot less peaceful than she had intended parenting to be. And she was an NPR journalist. She had been um a war correspondent for many years, I think. So she had spent time in other cultures and she kind of, she realized i feel like everywhere i've been it has not been the same like parenting has looked easier in other places and so she um took her daughter with her and she decided she wanted to do some research on this she went to um like a mod, like modern people but in a mayan tribe an inuit group and um I'm sorry, I'm not remembering the name of the people group in Africa. I should understand. But she, um, one of the big things that I took away from that book is that um, when anthropologists have studied human behavior over thousands of years and they study people groups that still live more like our. Um, ancestors if you look at how many people cared for a baby Mm. from the very first days initially they cite anywhere between five and 12 primary caregivers
0: primary that makes me want to (laughs) cry I know <laughs> that makes me want to cry. Those of you who have been around and listened long enough, you guys know my husband and I are the only ones from our family out here on the West Coast. Kennedy was born out here. Um, We, there is no village. We've had to build the village. We're lucky that we, you know, have it here and there. But that's fascinating to know that throughout history, it's only, it's gotten worse. And this is not the way that people were meant to raise children. no. And so we come home and this
1: is, this is why I tell people breastfeeding is so hard too. Mm. And one of my first questions I always ask in my, on my podcast to everybody is what was your exposure to breastfeeding before it was your turn? And the reason I ask that is because in places where breastfeeding is seen all the time, everywhere, people struggle less. And when the question you asked me, what would make it easier? The other thing would be normalizing it to see it all the time, everywhere, not just breastfeeding, but pumping. If somebody chose to pump and they could sit out at a theme park and pump because it was time to pump. Yeah. How would that change the game for people? Yeah. We can walk around in
0: however a skimpy swimsuit and it doesn't matter, but for some reason, pumping is offensive. That's so true. That's so, so true. And I know that this is, you know, an argument that has been, we've been battling for decades now, but I think that it's, it's something that I, I don't see. When you tell me you're the professional, do you see it going away? Do you see it getting better? I see it slowly getting better. I do. I see it
1: slowly getting better. Um, Yeah, I see it slowly getting better, and I think it just takes generation after generation. I think it should be easier for
0: our children if they choose to have
1: kids. Um, You know what? Something
0: just popped into my head, especially uh, related to the book title you mentioned earlier, where about the big letdown and how that they she decided to put that title that tag of feminism in there, and. Mm -hmm. I can picture, let's think about this, right? Because think about the experience of a new mom nursing or breastfeeding out in public. Let's think of the experience of a new mom pushing a stroller out in public or for the first time, right? I think that I have witnessed far too many times than I should have other women saying like, oh, you can go in this room over here if you need to. You know, nurse or here. Do you need a jacket to put over you? Or when it's not even about you know exposing yourself or however you look at that. How many times do other women hold doors for other moms? Where I feel like there's this moment of um, kind of like over feminism, where <laughs> we're trying so hard to make it be a little bit to find our independence. I don't know. I I, I keep hearing this term in this um this thought fluttering around about how we sometimes end up being our own worst enemies, right? When it comes to, we're almost to your point about the nurses, right? They're instilling their negative experiences on others. And it's like, well, we're never, maybe this is the easy way to say it. We're doing a lot to keep us in the same place. We're not doing much to push push each other forward and higher.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think too to your point, um, we have to be very careful about sprinkling our own experiences on new mothers. I actually had an instance just the other day. I was at a brewery with my kids. Um, We were watching some a friend's band play outside, and I went inside to get something. There was this cute couple with this really cute baby. And um and I I went up to her and I said, Oh, your baby's so cute. And she said, thank you. And I said, I know it can be really hard in the beginning, but it gets easier. And she kind of gave me this look and she goes, actually my baby's so easy. It hasn't been hard. And I stopped and I <laughs> said, why do we say this to people? Why do we say know it can be hard without ever knowing what her experience has been the thing I should have said is you know your baby is so cute end of story right I should not have sprinkled my experience onto her but when you hear again and again it can be so hard to be a new mom it can, and I know I know some people listening might think oh you were trying to connect with her and I'm not going to beat myself up over it for the rest of my life. But I am going to be careful about what I say to somebody moving forward because I do like to caution people, especially when it comes to breastfeeding. If you had a difficult birth or a traumatic birth, or if you had a difficult breastfeeding experience or a traumatic experience, be careful when and how you share that to, yes. us, to somebody who is pregnant. Yes. Because um, that can impact their experience. It absolutely can impact their experience. And so it's not that I want to shut people down or tell them not to share their truth because, like I said, I share, I share the highs and the lows of breastfeeding on, on the melt making minutes, but we have to be careful about how we do this. We don't want to hear everybody else's traumatic birth story heading into birth. Because that absolutely can't impact our hormonal pathways as we're leading into that experience ourselves. And so we need to be protective of the birthing space and we need to be protective of the breastfeeding space. And just because it was difficult for you does not mean that it has to be difficult for everybody else.
0: That's very true. So what do you think that the messaging or the we won't call it advice? How about the messaging or the support that new moms or expecting moms need to hear?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, I think, first of all, um, don't don't give it at all if they don't ask.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, if they don't
1: ask, for sure. Yes. Right? So if they, you know, a lot of people get asked, how are you going to feed your baby? Are you going to breastfeed? You know, are you going to try to have a natural birth? Natural, in air quotes. Are you going to have an epidural? You know, and all these these are questions that every person, of course, and they are trying to educate themselves. But I knew who I wanted to get that information from. I knew my trusted people, and I did not want random people telling me what they thought of my decisions. And so, asking somebody means. That you are ready to infuse them with advice. Well, first of all, just don't ask. And then, secondly, if they bring it up, you can say, "Um, oh man, that's so great. You know, whatever it is they decide, that's so great. Um, Do you want to hear about my experience? You know, I had a difficult experience, or I had an amazing. I had a difficult experience." If you ever want to hear about it, let me know. Well, I had an amazing experience. If you ever want to hear about it, let me know. And like then they that. certainly will. They will right. let you know, you
0: know. Oh, I like that a lot. Uh, so I always ask my guests, uh, this is a good segue because we're asking the advice we would give to others. But if you could go back in time and be any age that you've been, what age would you go back to? Oh, knowing what I know now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you get there, you're going to give her some advice. So tell me what age you would go back to and the advice you'd give her. Oh, gosh, all sorts of ages come to mind. Um,
1: I think I would, I would want to redo my first um, birth and breastfeeding experience.
0: Really? Okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What would you tell yourself? I would have,
1: um, I would have the home birth. I was scared to have. Mm. Initially, I had a home birth of my second, Okay, but I was a little bit worried to do it. And I had a whole slew of interventions. I have a physical disability. Um, I wear a prosthetic leg and, um, I, I, um, was in the hospital from, I had, I had to be induced. Not really. I didn't really have to be induced. But hospital policy dictated that i be induced. It ended up being a three-day induction, which meant I was on IV fluids for three days. And I swelled up. I mean, I looked like a blueberry at the end. Wow. Like, I was so, so swollen. The pictures of me, I, I just looked like my fingers pulling the baby. I was huge. And, you know, partway through the induction, I was so swollen. I had to take my prosthetic off. And I could not wear my leg for a week while caring for a newborn.
0: Oh, wow.
1: And having all those IV fluids, um, that can absolutely negatively impact breastfeeding in the beginning. Because every part of your body swells. So right. your breasts swell, you know, that can contribute to severe engorgement. It can make it harder for the baby to latch. And I had a whole slew of problems after the engorgement, and you know we struggled for a long time with breastfeeding. But I wish I had just gone with my gut and had the opportunity to have fewer interventions because that set me up for just doubting myself and 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 going into motherhood with just so much anxiety and frustration that may have been avoided.
0: It sounds like even almost doubt, which is the most debilitating fear for a new mom, for sure. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. 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 So that's well, probably where I would go.
0: Yeah. I mean, and now you have a almost five-year-old, eight-and-a-half-year-old, we luckily are on the other side of baby life, but tell me what's next for you. I know, tell everyone uh, again what you're busy studying for.
1: So um, in lactation care, there are several ways to provide lactation care. I am currently a certified lactation counselor, um, but the gold standard is really to be an international board certified lactation consultant, an IBCLC. And you have to do a lot to get there. So it's about, um, it's 95 hours. It actually used to be 90, but now it's 95 hours of lactation education, um, 14 college-level science credits that include nutrition, anatomy and physiology, um, um, anthropology, child development, all sorts of courses. And then you have to have a thousand clinical hours um, of actually, you know, clinical lactation care. So then once you complete all of those requirements, then you can apply to sit for the board exam. So I've applied, I've been accepted, and I will be sitting for the board exam in September. So i will you don't get the results back for months. So hopefully by this fall, I will be an IBCLC and I'll be continuing to build up my private practice as a patient
0: consultant. Amazing. Well, do me a favor, share with everyone either how they can work with you, maybe refer you cuz a lot of our moms are kind of out of that breastfeeding stage or who knows, maybe they'll end up back in it at some point, but how yeah. can we find you um and give us kind of everywhere you are.
1: Yeah, so they can find me at uh quabin and you can just put it in the show notes, quabinbirthservices.com. Um and uh my podcast is The Milk Making Minute. And then I'm Lo Nigrosh, which you'll also have to spell in, um, in
0: the show notes, uh, Lo Nigrosh on Instagram with my name. Of course. We will link everything below. Uh, keep conversations going. We love to hear kind of your thoughts, your questions, your opinions. We can send that over to Lo and get some answers back for you guys as well. Lo, thanks so much. I hope we chat again soon. Yes, it has been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I'll see you real soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Be sure to rate and review the episode or better yet, do me a favor and go ahead and give this a share over on your social media. If you're on Instagram, be sure to share it in your stories and tag me at it's Casey Potts and I'll be sure to send some love right back. Stay tuned for more podcast episodes. You can also find me over on Instagram or on YouTube by searching Casey's Corner with Case. See you real soon.